My name is Micah. If you haven't met me before, I'm the pastor here at the church, and I just want to say welcome. It's such a joy to be with you all this morning. We are going to be in the Gospel of Matthew this morning. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 7. And we're going to continue our discussion and study on the fatherhood of God. And last week, we began this discussion and study by examining the question, well, how do we know what God is like? And first of all, we realize the only way that we know how God is and how he acts and what he does is his self-revelation of himself to us. And one of the ways that Jesus taught us primarily how to relate to God is by calling him what? Father. Jesus says when you pray, when, when, you're, when you're having a relationship with God, he says the way you pray and engage and experience God is by calling God Father. And so we're going to continue our discussion. Last week we, we began by saying, well, if, if God is our Father, there's three major implications. There's many more as we're going to discuss. But the first implication, if God is our Father, then we are, first of all, what? We are adopted, right? Secondly, if God is our Father, then we are co-heirs with Christ, right? And third, if, if we are children of God, then we by God are, the third one was the hardest, we are loved, right? And, and so we begin to question, what does this mean to be in relationship with God in this form or fashion? And, and what I want to build on that discussion today is this concept then of, okay, if, if God is our Father, what does this truly mean? And, and I want to do a, a sort of a thought experiment this morning of, of asking the question, well, what is the greatest conceivable Father that we could ever imagine? Um, there's there's a, an old theologian philosopher named Anselm of Canterbury. Has anyone heard of him? He was sort of an 11th century monk. And, and he became... Uh, famous for a term relating to God as the greatest conceivable being. And he had this philosophical argument to, to uh, defend the existence of God with what's called the ontological argument for the existence of God. Don't worry, I'm not going to get all philosophical. I see your guys just going, what is he going towards? Don't worry, I'm not going to get too philosophical. But, but I was reading his argument once again and relating to God as the greatest conceivable being, and I began to imagine, well, what is the greatest conceivable father that we can think about? Well, what is the greatest conceivable father? How, how would we describe that father? How would that father treat their kids? And so let's do this thought experiment as we engage together. What is, what is the greatest conceivable father? How would they treat their kids? What would their character be like? A kind father, yes. A loving father. A patient father. He would take care of our needs. Pardon? He would be present with us. He wouldn't be an absent father. A forgiving father, because kids make a lot of mistakes, don't they? A guiding and shaping, actually bringing you somewhere in life. A firm and discipline, right? Yeah. We need a father of discipline. A protective father. Amen. A sacrificial father. Yes. 
Yeah, you couldn't fool him, right? Yeah, that happens a lot with kids. They try to fool their parents, right? Not deceived. Full of, pardon? Full of fun. Yes, yeah. A joy to be around, right? You don't want to be around a father who's no fun or joyous. Yeah. Pardon? Yeah, he's always been there for you. He's always looking after you. He's always taking care of you, right? There's this beautiful reality that we can begin to process and experiment. When we think about God as Father, we begin to get this deeper understanding of his character. And yet, there's, there's still an issue with what we just did there. Because here's the problem. It gives us this beautiful insight. It brings us into a deeper understanding, perhaps. But think of it from this perspective. Here we are as created beings by our creator, God. And we, from our limited knowledge and insight, are trying to gain perception and understanding of who God is. Now, let me frame it in this sense. At different stages in my life, I would have defined the greatest conceivable father in different ways. And I'm sure many of you would as well. Um, When I was a young child, perhaps the, the greatest conceivable father for me was just someone who was there, someone who was taking care of me, making sure I didn't have to worry about anything in life. Uh, When I became a teenager, guess what my greatest conceivable father would be then? A dad that just leaves me alone and lets me do whatever I want. (laughs) Anyone have that experience, right? And yet later on in life, now that I'm a father as well, I I have a whole other, different perception and understanding of how I would define the greatest conceivable father. And so here's, here's the, the, the battle that we come against. We, we experience God through age and experience, and we begin to define him through our experiences. But what we need to realize is there's a massive difference when we talk about us as created beings relating and understanding to our creator. And what happens then as created beings, we we often look and we perceive and we describe and understand God from an extremely limited perspective, don't we? Extremely limited perspective. And what happens then is actually the way we view our earthly fathers defines the way we view our heavenly father extensively. And so even some of the answers that you guys gave... I'm sure some of it was wrapped in the concept of perhaps maybe what was lacking from your father. Maybe it's perhaps of what you were striving for and wanting from in your relationship with your father. And all of these experiences and situations in life drastically affect how we actually describe and understand God as father. And so let's just do another little quiz time. Let's process this. Quiz time. Who has a father? Most of you pass. (laughs) We all have a father, right? That's something we cannot change circumstantially to exist in this world. We need a father. We we have a father. And and we all have dads, and and some of us had great dads. Uh, Some of us had dads that caused deep pain and hurt in our life. 
Some of us have dads that were sort of both, where they had great amounts of joy experience and a great amount of pain and sorrow with them. And, and some of us even have dads who were absent or distant, and so we, we have all this concept and misinformation at times of, of what God the Father truly is. And, and what I want us to realize today is first and foremost that our relationship with our earthly father has this powerful and formative influence in how we view God. Now, uh, Eric Mextas, he's sort of a, a Christian historian biographer. He writes a lot of biographies. And he wrote a, a fascinating article that I read. And, and he began to do some research on sort of a, a lot of the, the modern atheist movement. And he began to look at people like Sigmund Freud. He began to look at people like David Hume. He began to study people like Nietzsche, Bertrand Russell, who's a famous atheist philosopher. And what he began to realize and analyze is that all of these men and women as well, one thing that was consistent with all of them is they all had deeply fractured relationships with their fathers. And it's fascinating for me to read that even Sigmund Freud, you guys know who Sigmund Freud is? Psychoanalysis gets in your head, right? Think of strange counseling at times. He would use cocaine with his patients. I won't go on a rabbit trail about him. But what's interesting about him is, is he grew up as a Jew in a Moravian, a Christian town. And his beliefs of God would, would sort of go on to understand he believed God was just this illusion that was based on our, our infant desire to have a healthy and good father. And he said that our, any monotheistic understandings of God was based on our innate need as young kids and humans to have a good father. And he would even go on to say with, with his studies and all the patients that he worked with and all the people that he sat in counseling with, he said this, this is his quote from him, he said, nothing is more common than for a young person to lose faith in God when he loses respect for guess who? For his father. It's a pretty blunt statement, isn't it? And that's what he observed as an atheist, doing all this psychoanalysis with people, getting in people's heads. He says, the biggest reason I've seen people walk away from the faith and understanding of God is because they had a very distorted image and a broken relationship with their father. Now, for those of us who are dads, who here is dad, or perhaps even you're a father figure in life, that's a huge weight of responsibility, isn't it? That, that's a huge burden to place upon ourselves. Uh, and, and to some extent, I want us to feel that weight of burden and responsibility. There's a deep burden of responsibility there. But at the same time, God doesn't want you to feel that burden, does he? God doesn't want you to feel overwhelmed by the pressure. But here's the reality. You as a father... You will either distort the character of God or you will display the character of God. Us as fathers, we have this deep responsibility of, of presenting who God is in his very likeness and we're either going to distort that and fail in life or we're going to display that to be celebrated in life. 
And, and this is what waits upon us. This is a responsibility that brings burden upon us. And, and let's be honest and vulnerable here. Who feels as fathers completely overwhelmed by that reality? Anyone? It's a massive, massive burden. But let me give us some hope. I'm going to give us some hope, not just as fathers, but as parents as well. Because we're going to look at the Gospel of Matthew. And Matthew chapter 7 gives us this beautiful image and description on a relationship with God as Father. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 7. I'm going to start with the context, but we're going to focus on verse 11. So I'm going to start in verse 7. Just listen. Jesus is teaching about prayer. He says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks find, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? What's Jesus saying there? Fathers do what? They take care of their kids. They feed their kids, right? And he says, if you then who are evil, a little blunt there, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? What is Jesus ultimately saying here? He's saying, God is so much better than any of our earthly fathers, isn't He? God is so much better. He's saying, you know what? Even the fathers that take care of their kids and provide for them and feed them, there's still a reality of evil in their lives, isn't there? There's still a reality of sin in their lives. And God then is this complete opposite. It's, it's a category of human fathers, and God is in an entirely other category as a heavenly father, and there is no reality of comparison between the two. There is no uh, correlation between the two because there is no evil in our Heavenly Father. There is no sin in our Heavenly Father. There is no flaws or mistakes or misguiding from our Heavenly Father. And so Jesus goes beyond the encouragement of just saying, you know what, you have a Father in Heaven. He goes beyond that and says, you have a perfect Father who has absolutely no evil who can only do good. And when we think about this, even, even of us who had great fathers and good fathers, um, who here had a perfect father? Anyone? <laughs> right? Even if you have the best father, he was not perfect. E even if you are a great father to your kids, you are not perfect. You might have a great relationship with your dad, but at some point in life, we have all had fathers who have failed us in some form or fashion, whether it be rejection or harsh words or, or criticism or severe discipline, whatever it may be, all of our fathers at some point of time have not been perfect. For example, th this is the one I, I hear most commonly with people. This is some of the biggest struggles that I hear as I meet with people and talk to people, where they view their father 
as someone who didn't celebrate them or, or someone that they felt like they had to perform and succeed for no matter what you did or how much you accomplished or how much success you think you had, there was still this aspect of failure, this aspect of not meeting expectations. And, and if you take that mentality and bring it before God your Father, well, if that's your view of your Heavenly Father, now you begin to view God the Father in that lens, what does your relationship with God turn into? It's a relationship of always trying to prove your value, always trying to prove your worth, always trying to prove how important you are to your Father, always thinking the Father in heaven is disappointed or expecting more or wanting more from you, and you can never quite measure up or match up. Yet is that the view of our Heavenly Father that we get from Scripture? No, not at all. See, Jesus gives us some hope here. He says no father in the world is perfect. They're all going to cause flaws or sin, and yet we have the good and perfect father that we so desperately need. And so what does that teach us then as fathers? I'm sorry, I'm talking a lot just to fathers today, but it's sort of a reason why. Uh, What does that mean for us as fathers? That means the greatest thing that we could do for our kids is to point them to who? To the good father. The most important thing we can do is not even to try to be a perfect father for them, but to point them to the perfect father and to show his character, to show who he is. Why? Because God the Father is never going to fail your kids. God the Father is never going to cause evil in their lives. God the Father is never going to is never going to abandon them or forsake them. God the Father doesn't have the limitations or flaws or mistakes that you have. And so you as a father need to operate from this perspective that leads them to the good father. That is the only hope they have. And here's the beauty. If, if we then, as the children of God, embrace this reality, if we start going to God the Father... And if we call upon him and, and pray to him and seek after him as, as Jesus instructs us to do in prayer, then we will find all of the approval, all of the affirmation, all of the love, all of the affection that we so desperately need and we're created for, and we find it in the good Father. Now, here's what's wild. This is what's really wild about this. Because when you think about this, out of all the fathers in the world, out of all the fathers in the world, God the Father has the greatest reason to reject us and abandon us, doesn't he? When we think about calling God Father, and when we realize that we all have rebelled against God, that we all have ran from God, that we all have cursed God at some point of our life or doubted God or ran from Him and tried to forsake Him. God the Father has the greatest reason to reject us when we chose to rebel against Him. We became enemies of God because of our sin. We could no longer be in the presence of a holy God because of our sinfulness. And yet, what do we see? We see the Father who has 
the greatest justification for rejection of his children actually showed the deepest love and the deepest sacrifice and the deepest mercy and the deepest grace and the greatest patience with us, the greatest faithfulness. This is the reality of the God that we worship. This is the reality of the God that we serve. This is the reality of the God who so dearly loves us. And so let me close by saying this. As we examine the cross of Jesus Christ, we realize that God's greatest love was shown on us while we were still sinners. Christ did what? He died for us. While we were still enemies of God, while we were still rebellious against God, we could now become friends of God because of Jesus Christ. We can now be adopted into the family because of Jesus Christ. And so my, my calling for us this morning is that we would never limit our understanding of God the Father from our own experiences with our Father or how we have been understand them or what we were lacking from them because no matter how good or bad your Father was, it's a whole other category than understanding the Father God's love as a good and perfect Father. God is the one who made us. He's the one who knows the most about us. He's the one who cares the most about us. He's the one who shows the deepest compassion and concern over our lives. He's the one who literally died for us, sacrificed for us, so that we could be restored and reconciled to him. That is good news, isn't it, church? Now, what I want to do for the rest of our time together, I'm going to invite you guys to bow your heads, and we're just going to enter into a time of prayer. This is, this is a reflective time. This is a time to ponder. This is a time to analyze. This is a time to experience the presence of God. And all I want to do is I'm just going to read Scripture over you. Because again, we, we so often come with these preconceived ideas of who God is and how He treats us and how we relate to Him. And I just want to read Scripture over you. And I want you to meditate in it. I want you to let it wash over you. I want it to drastically change your view and understanding of who God is and relate to Him in a new way. And so I'm just going to read this scripture and just contemplate it, meditate over it. This is what the scripture says. It says, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who honor Him. Cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Don't worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we wear? Your heavenly Father knows you need these things. Every good and perfect gift is from the Father, who does not change like shifting saddles. Even if we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot disown Himself. God will never go back 
on his promises. My God is changeless in his love for me. The Lord is near to all who call on him. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. We are children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And then back to our text this morning. If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? Let us continue in prayer together. Gracious Father, we come before you with such a depth of gratitude, such a depth of not deserving, not worthy to experience your love and your mercy and your grace, and yet you lavish on it so generously to us. We have no right to be your children. There's nothing we could do to earn your favor, to earn your acceptance, to be worthy in your presence. And yet in your love and mercy and grace, you have so graciously given us the title, children of God. In Christ, we are adopted. In Christ, we are co-heirs. In Christ, we are loved. And Lord, we so dearly desire to live out of that reality. And so I pray for us in this room, those who have a flawed understanding of even what a perfect God would be, even what a perfect Father would be. Lord, the only way we know is how you have revealed yourself to us. And so I pray that you would just guide us into a deeper understanding of who you are, a deeper understanding and a deeper experience of, of knowing your love for us. And that it just wouldn't be cognitive, that it just wouldn't be in our head, that it wouldn't just be from experience, but Lord, that you would truly just instill it in our lives so that we would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are our Father and that we would live out of that truth. Lord, I come as well just to pray for those in this room who has such a, dis a distorted view of fatherhood. Lord, maybe if it's a past of abuse, maybe if it's a past of abandonment, maybe if it's a past of rejection, a past of criticism, a, cr a past of feeling unworthy. Lord, our fathers can hurt us in so many ways, and yet you are such a good and perfect father. And I pray those in this room that have experienced this deep hurt and pain, and many of us, all of us have experienced it in some form or fashion, Lord, that you would just reveal yourself to us anew and that you would remind us of the value and worth that we have in you, that you would remind us of the, the gift of identity that is found in you as children, and that you would remind us that we are accepted in love, 
not because of what we can do or accomplish for you, but simply because of your grace. And that you would remind us the length and the depths to which you went to restore and reconcile relationship with us. We are truly thankful, our great and mighty God. And it's in the name of Jesus that we celebrate this. It's in the name of Jesus that any of this is even possible. And it's the name of Jesus that we truly celebrate today. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.